Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be a here again today with our friend Dick Foth on Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our interview with Jonathan Trotter, where we discuss um, marriage and the life of a missionary. And Jonathan has specific um, experience, him and his wife, and have a great time um, discussing marriage and um, and missions and um, some things that he's learned as a missionary and some things he's put into practice. Dick, so excited to be with you again today. Likewise. My joy. Great to be always be back with Dick, and uh, I learned so much from him, and I know the, the listeners that send in the responses also enjoy their time with, with Dick and um, learning from him, from his wisdom and insight. Dick, the first question a listener sent in, sent in said, my wife and I find it difficult to pray together. Is this common, and how can we grow in this area? I don't know if it's common, but I've had that problem. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's um, your relationship with God and your relationship with each other are the most intimate relationships you have. Hmm. So um, sex and prayer bump right up against each other. Yeah. And because in prayer, you're talking intimacy. In sexual relationship, you're talking intimacy. Yeah. And the, the challenge, our experience has been, you know, when you're young, it's all, it almost feels like you're, you're going too fast to pray. Yeah. You know, you, you know, <laughs> it isn't prayer and fasting. It's just fast and no prayer if you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the, um, the idea of prayer, let's just talk about prayer for just a moment. The idea sure. of prayer was so beautifully put together by a missionary in the Philippines by the name of, Frank Laubach back in the twenties and thirties. And he wrote a little book. You, it's a little called um, each one teach one, or that, that was his sort of philosophy, yeah. which had a biblical philosophy. Right. And he, he talks about all kinds of prayers, sentence prayers, uh, scatter prayers, all this kind of stuff. So I think what happens is that historically when we've gone to, any kind of theological education, it's such a training school, a Bible institute, a Bible college, a seminary. Prayer gets put in a box. And the whole point of prayer is that it's not in a box. Hmm. And so, for example, in, in Washington, D.C., when I'm sitting in a restaurant with some guy who he's not going to pray for his lunch or anything. That's right. not what he does. Yeah. Uh, I got in the habit at some points of saying, uh, can I just do an open-eyed prayer? Nobody's going to be embarrassed here. I'm just not going to bow our heads or genuflect or anything. And so I've got in the habit of doing open-eyed prayers. And huh. let me just give it a context here, yeah. if I can, real quickly. When you, you asked me last time about books, and I didn't want to be cute and say, well, you could read the Bible. But, but here's, the, here's the context for prayer. Uh, Ephesians 5, 15 and following, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine and so forth and so forth. And then it goes on to say, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The part of prayer, and when you read Paul in Philippians, same thing, you, you start with thanksgiving and, you, mm-hmm. and then you go to supplications and all of that submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So prayer together in a very real sense is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul goes on then to illustrate it 
with marriage, parental, and employer-employee or master-slave in this instance. Wives, submit your own husbands unto the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, himself the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And mm-hmm. it goes on, right? So part of what prayer is, is loving my spouse as I love my own body. Mm-hmm. Now, my body is not what it used to be from my perspective. It's done yeah. down the stuff has moved over. You've had replacement <laughs> parts, you get all this kind of stuff, right? <clears throat> but when, if you don't make prayer something other, if you make a conversation with God together of the same quality as a conversation with your children together or with each other, I think it's easier. I think it works. So oftentimes, Ruth and I'll be driving down the road. I'm driving, and I have this habit of turning toward her to talk, and she never turns toward me. And I say, Ruth, why don't you look at me when I'm talking? She says, I believe that one of us needs to keep his eyes on the road. (laughs) But, But one of the best ways for us to pray is we'll be going down, and we'll just start praying with our eyes open. And that, that allows us to have this conversation uh, in that way. And some of us are early morning people, some, you know, what they call larks, and some of us are night people, they call owls. But I think if you don't put prayer in a box, if you understand that it's conversation with the Most High, whether it's you by yourself or together, I think just try it in small pieces, like any kind of exercise. It's a habit. Don't try to have an all-night prayer meeting with your wife. Right. You know? Just just do like do two minutes. Yeah. Start that. Yeah. Good deal. And Good deal. Pray open for your family and the work and all that. Okay. Open-eyed prayers. Open-eyed yep. prayer. That's uh. Good, good, good nugget, and um, appreciate it. Dick, the second question: um, How can my wife and I navigate conflict in marriage so that our kids can see what it is to navigate conflict? Um, when they are married one day and they wrote in the subtext, uh, we do not want our concern is we don't want our kids to think marriage is without conflict, but do not want them to get caught up in our conflict either. So, well, why don't don't you ask that question of the the guy you're going to interview next? (laughs) (laughs) They sent it, they sent it to you. (laughs) That was an interesting question because, um, I don't know that Ruth and I have ever thought about that question. Uh, I mean, we had plenty of conflict. Yeah. And, and if it, conflict isn't bad. Conflict's right. neutral. Right. So, but I think even in conversations at the dinner table, hmm. let's say, and uh, conversations at the dinner table, which are getting less and less frequent in modern society, Yeah. It, it, uh, those are the ongoing conversations. So maybe I could frame it this way. Uh, Sherry Turkle, who's an MIT psychologist, has studied in a book she calls Alone Together, where we are apart, but we're tethered by this thing called the Internet. She says the dinner table is the place of ongoing conversation hmm. where you put a comma in it on Monday night and you can pick up again on Wednesday night or Tuesday night. Yeah. So... If you are a family that discusses things, then you can, you can model um, 
when somebody makes a statement, instead of just reacting to the statement, you can model questions. Why did, where, where does that comment come from? Or hmm. what, what, what makes you feel that way? What, hmm. what was it about the situation or about something I did? And Ruth and I had one of these just this morning, just this hmm. morning on a subject. And I used to react or, you know, sometimes one person, whoever is the more verbal or dominant, will shut the other person down and say, well, we solved that. But yeah. you didn't solve it. You just crammed it down. Hmm. So I think that... I think that piece is really important to have, to understand life as an ongoing conversation, invite your children into it at the dinner table. Don't let it, let it be an argument or a knockdown dragon right. kind of. And then I think that, that it, uh, it can work. The other thing is that would be fun to model is to have the one, two, three model. We used to use this in board meetings at the college. Somebody brought it up and the, Oftentimes in a conflict situation, you don't know from what level the other person is speaking, hmm. whether it's really intense. or And so you say, so what is that? Because a one is, this is something I just thought of. A two is, I'm emotionally connected to this. Be careful how you respond. And three is, God said this, everybody get under the table. Wow. And uh, so, for example, somebody brings something up that's a problem and you say, well, where is that problem? Like, like, is that a 1.5 or a 2.1 or so yeah. that way you can modulate or measure how you respond. And it's important for children to understand that responses need to be measured. Wow. So you don't, so you don't nuke a mosquito. Wow. If I could put it that way. That makes uh, sense. Makes a hundred percent. I've never heard of that model, but man, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a practical point that the, you can put in put into practice today. So oh, no, it works at your house. It works in the marketplace. It works in boardroom. It's, yeah. And I just wish I could take credit for it. But I I plagiarized. <laughs> so good deal, good deal. Well, Dick, we appreciate you being back with us on Back Channel with Foth. It's always a, a joy to have you. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Jonathan Trotter. We we'll have a fascinating conversation with him as he shares about his life in, in ministry and the path God has had had him on. And now as he is ministering to uh, missionaries, families, and marriages. And, um, and uh, just a joy to speak with Jonathan. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. I'm so excited to be here with a new friend. My wife, Heather, and I um, viewed and participated in a webinar that him and his wife had shared. And um, as we, when we got done, I said, I need to see if I can contact Jonathan and ask him if he would be on the podcast because his message and his insight were very valuable for Heather and I. And um, we just wanted to share it with, uh, with the listeners. So Jonathan, so excited to have you with us here today. Would you go ahead and share just a little bit about yourself and, um, and uh, yeah, before we jump into some questions. Sure. Well, it is such a privilege to be here. I, I always love these opportunities uh, and just thrilled to talk about uh, marriages, thrilled to talk about cross-cultural work and sort of how those things collide sometimes yeah. uh, for good and sometimes for, you know, big challenges. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So my wife and I served in local church ministry in the States uh, for about 10 years I uh, kind of did both bivocational work. Uh, I served as an ER trauma nurse and then as a youth pastor, uh, worship pastor. So kind of take a break from teenagers sometimes. <laughs> to work in the ER and then vice versa. <laughs> and then about 10 years ago, um, we started transitioning into the international field. 
and we moved to Cambodia uh, with a church planting organization. And uh, we were in Cambodia for about eight years. Um, and then sort of unexpectedly, thanks to COVID and visa passport issues and all that stuff, uh, ended up back in the States um, in March of 2020. So in the process of relocating yeah. uh, to, to Missouri in the Midwest yeah. part of the U.S. Good deal. Good deal. And family-wise, um, uh, we got to meet your wife. Do you have, do you have kids? Do so we have four kids. We have two teenage boys and then uh two girls. The boys are, you know, sixteen and fifteen yeah. and the girls are twelve and ten. So full house. Um wouldn't want to uh quarantine with anyone else. <laughs> it's quite a year. Twenty twenty is quite a year, but uh yeah, yeah grateful for the for the for family. Sure. For sure. Well, Jonathan, you know, we normally begin the podcast with kind of a lesson learned. What we found out is, you know, when people share all their victories, it, sometimes it's hard to identify with somebody whose life is perfect. And so we, I normally begin by asking a, a question of, of a lesson learned um, and just a lesson that you've learned about life and love and marriage and uh, living overseas. And so I just wanted to see if you might have a story or maybe a lesson you've learned, maybe not the easiest way. Man, I have <laughs> how much time we got? Shoot. <laughs> you know, we try to get experience as cheap as you can. I think is what <laughs> said. Other people have paid dearly for it. Um, but uh, I think, you know, initially the, the lesson learned is this thing is hard. This mm. thing is really hard. And uh, cross-cultural living, cross-cultural ministry, that's hard. Um, and then tacking on marriage, maybe young children at the same time, which is often the case, um, it is a challenge and um, how to balance uh, ministry and the travel and small children and the marriage uh, and the, the heat and yeah. the poverty and all that stuff, um, it can be really, really hard. So I think one of the lessons learned um, from, from some of the folks who went before us in Cambodia, the people we asked when we arrived, yeah. and we're like, hey, how do, you, how do you do this? How do you survive <laughs> here? Um, not just because it was Cambodia, but just right. the whole experience. How do you do this? And uh, I think the lesson learned is it matters. It's just, it's worth it to pay attention to your marriage uh, for the long haul. It's worth it to invest in your marriage, even if that looks like, you know, taking that trip or or doing that that book or just being aware that um, you, know, you could sacrifice a little bit here and there in your marriage, but that's going to really make the long-term um impact uh, well either way on positive or negative side so yeah and that's one of the lessons yeah. learned i guess yeah, yeah, for sure no that makes yeah. that makes that makes sense and what do you think there were some of the reasons jonathan that that we don't because what i heard you say is is have a long-term focus and take the time have you there's some common themes that people don't necessarily want to take the time or they're maybe so future focused that they forget about the present or what have you seen? Because you, this is this is your. We're, we're, I'm lo- learning to learn from you, looking to learn from you today. Yeah. Um, well, man, and I feel like I've I've learned so much from the couples that I've been privileged to walk alongside yeah. of in my work as a pastoral care provider and and marriage coach things over the years. I I think it was usually not a real evil intent. <laughs> I think right. that your home relationship is just the easiest thing. To neglect because there are so many other pressing things, yeah. um, health and then there's ministry and this is important. And there's just so many massive concerns and stressors. 
Um, and for most people, marriage is kind of sailing along. And so it's often the easiest thing to neglect. Um, and that, that's sad, but I think that is the standard. Yeah. Or at least that's the thing that I see most often. Not that people started hating each other. They just they, they just had other things to do that were really important things. Yeah. Um, and I think that what I've learned is, is marriages don't drift together. It, it, the natural mm-hmm. tendency is to drift away. If it, we were just made yeah. to drift together, maybe some couples drift together. I've just not met too many of them, um, but it just seems like we begin to drift. And the natural tendency is like being at the beach and the, the tide keeps pulling you down, the, but it's not pulling you together. And um, yeah. yeah, that's been... So what led you to go from an ER nurse and a youth, a youth pastor and then serving in Cambodia, and now you're specifically focusing on um, healthy marriages and global workers. As we took your webinar, it was it was super valuable for us. As I shared, oh. how did that transition take place? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> oh man, I'm a terrible interviewee. Um, no, no, you're doing good. I, I think that God just laughs at this. So um, we had the privilege before going overseas to do a week long marriage intensive with a pastoral counselor mm-hmm. uh, in the states. Um, we, we were actually forced to do it. People in our church, leadership at our church was like, you guys, we really want you to do this. And we were like, we're, we like each other. We've been married 10 years. We really like each other. We, you know, why, why would we need to do this? And like, we just, we'll pay for it, but you need to do it. And so we did, we did 15 hours of marriage counseling in one wow. week, wow. <laughs> which is a lot. Yeah. Um, and it was fantastic. We just, we left that experience so filled up and, um, so much more connected. And uh, the last three hours of that week, this pastoral counselor guy who had never been cross-cultural work or anything, but he knew we were moving overseas. He told me, he said, Jonathan, Elizabeth, he said, if you get a hold of this stuff, God will bring people into your orbit who need the same type of healing and Mm. connection that you've experienced this week. I mean, he's a super humble guy. He was like, this isn't rocket science. Anyone can do this. Uh, he, and he just really empowered us and said, pay attention. Don't be surprised if God brings people into your world for you to sort of share this stuff with. And we were like, okay, yeah, yeah, but that's not what we're going to do. We're going to go do real stuff like church planting stuff. Right. And, um, but I, I kid you not, like one week later, I was working at a Christian camp and two other youth pastors came up to me and started telling me some, some of their marriage stuff. Yeah. And I was like, what the heck? So I just pulled out the same material I had just gone through with my wife and started sharing it with them. And it just kind of grew from there. Yeah. Uh, we moved overseas and I mean, it's a longer story, but um, really felt about six months in that God was shifting us. Uh, I still did language culture work for you know a year or two. But um, after a little bit, a local international church asked us to come on board for pastoral counseling. Hmm. Uh, and then a new startup uh, member care center said, hey, we'd really like to have a pastoral guy on staff along with our professional therapists and counselors. And, and would you want to come on board? We heard you do this. <laughs> okay. So it really was kind of a, a series of, of um, accidental steps yeah. uh, from my perspective that looking at it now is just hilarious and how God saw ahead, of course, and uh, prepared. So from the beginning, I just started reading books and then interning with a, a cross-cultural worker on the field who was a therapist um, and just trying to get as much coaching and practice as I could. 
God bless the people who were the, the first ones. I don't know that they know who they were. They don't know they were the first ones. Um, and I just, I just love it. It is such yeah. a privilege and honor to walk alongside of couples as they do the work that God's called them to. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So the <laughs> no, it's a it's a fascinating story. Um, one of the things you shared was that this was something you did that your church highly encouraged you to do this before you went overseas. Is that yeah. something that you would encourage other couples to maybe consider? Because um, you said you said we love each other, our, our marriage is you know great. We we don't we don't need to do this. But would you encourage other couples maybe to take some time before they move overseas to walk through a process like that you and your wife did? That's going to be a hard yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it really was true. Uh, we had been married 10 years. We had a couple of kids. Like we weren't green in this, but, um, and we really did like each other. Like, honestly, we, and yeah. the, the counselor actually said, he's like, most people don't come into my office holding hands. <laughs> and we were like, oh, we're, our church told us to come. We do like each other. And still God used that experience to, to bring tremendous healing on some personal issues that I had some personal, you know, experiences that Elizabeth had been through and brought us together and gave us some tools and resources that we used a lot in mm. our first seven years on the field. So I would absolutely recommend that anyone does that. You know, this cross-cultural gig is difficult enough yeah. um, that if there's any way you can help um, on the front side before you have the stress that you know is coming, yeah. then then there's no reason not to do it. Um, we spend, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of hours preparing for a cross-cultural service, spend 12 to 15 hours doing some sort of counseling, whether it's pastoral counseling or, um, or professional therapy or whatever. There's a whole variety of things. Yeah. I definitely recommend that. No, no, it's great. And, uh, you know, I'm all about preventative care. If you were an ER mm. nurse, you were probably working in the side. People hadn't prevented it and they ended up in the <laughs> That's ER. Right. Um, That's right. But, you know, preventative care, I think, is valuable. But sometimes I think we, I'll say me, I won't blame it on other people. Sometimes I'd, Aaron Santamire doesn't focus so much on the preventative side and is mm-hmm. more reactionary. And just when you said that and shared that, it was, um, it really resonated with me that um, it's not yeah. something that Heather and I did um, before we went to the field. We didn't, uh, we were young, um, you know, young, young married couple. And um, we, and, uh, and I was learning honestly how to be a husband when I got to the field, sure. I was learning how to be sure. a father. And honestly, there were times it was overwhelming because I was living in a cultural, cultural context, be trying to be a, a husband and trying to be a fa- new father. And, um, and uh, it would have been super valuable. So uh, really resonated yeah. with me. What mm. does, what does a healthy marriage look like in an overseas context? Does it look a, different than a marriage in the, in a home culture or what have you found when it, when it comes to what a healthy marriage looks like overseas? Mm. Well, I mean, uh, as they say in Cambodia, sort of same, same, <laughs> but different, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, um, so there's going to be some themes. Uh, and again, a couple's passport country is going to play into this. I've worked with couples uh, from an Asian background or from an African background. Uh, primarily, though, uh, my clients have come from a, a, an American background or at least a Western European background. So that's going to play into this. But um, in general, I think you're talking about a relationship that both people would describe as full of warmth hmm. and affection. Okay. And this a culture of appreciation. Um, so, you know, you could go a whole lot of directions with that. 
Um, you know, this is the, the sexual relationship healthy. Uh, one doctor friend of mine before we moved overseas said, you know, sometimes the, the sexual relationship is like, a, um, it's a gauge if that's yeah. going well. It's kind of an early indicator of marriage issues. So you don't want to hang your whole hat on that. But um, uh, I think a culture of warmth, affection, and appreciation, whatever that looks like for that particular couple, that's going to be healthy. Yeah. Um, and people are going to feel connected to one another. And, you know, that, that that's not rocket science, but it, you know when it's not there. Yeah. When there's not this culture of appreciation and warmth. Yeah. Um, so, and I will speak just briefly because this, this does matter, but the sexual relationship of a couple often takes a hit on the field because there's so many other competing things and temperature, climate changes and living situation changes and all that. And uh, there's one leading researcher who talks about how like a, a positive sexual relationship between husband and wife at its maximum adds about 20% to a couple's happiness. Wow. So it, it's even if it's going really well, it only has the power to add about 20% to a couple's happiness. But if it's going poorly, if that's a place of tremendous stress and anxiety in a couple's life, it maxes out at 75% Oof. of their of their unhappiness, of their distra- uh, you know, of the, the difficulties in the relationship. So I mentioned that area because it's so important. It can help yeah. a little bit, but it, if it's going badly, it has an inordinate amount of um, of a negative impact. So yeah. just if 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 one of our listeners is feeling that, you're not alone, um, hmm. and so it doesn't have to be a dead end. There are a lot of of things that help. And this culture of appreciation right. <laughs> and affection, that's that's one of the places you start. No, that's, that's great. I just, just want to say that because that matters no. a lot. No, I appreciate it very much. And I appreciate you take sharing that because I think it is our sexual health is, is so valuable. But at the same time, yeah. it's something that we don't uh, uh, say. It, it's not been frequently talked about um, in, yeah. the, in the in the missions worlds that I circulate in. It's right. but it's super valuable. Like you're sharing um, that that's that that makes has a big impact. But um, at times we don't want to talk about it. And um, but, man, I think it's valuable to to share about it in a healthy way. Mm, And I explain that a little bit more and kind of uh, give some citations for that research in an article on a life overseas. I think the article is called Sex and the Married Missionary. Hmm. Um, If you if if a listener wants to Google that and and Jonathan Trotter or a life overseas, you should be able to find that um, with that research, along with some other like practical ideas and uh, and other other resources so you don't feel like you're stuck and yeah. that can no, be pretty for sure i'll put that in the show notes too and then okay, people can perfect. look at it in the show notes that's a phenomenal resource and um yeah i really really appreciate that Great. what are some of the you know is is marriage is transition and whether you've been on the field 20 years you've been on the field 20 minutes um there's mm. those transitions that take place um does that pr- place more stress on the marriage? And, and what wisdom and advice do you have on, on ma- for marriages as they go through these transition processes um, to and from the field? Yeah, so I, um, I, I thought you might ask something like that. So I actually asked, <laughs> I actually asked my sister um, and my brother-in-law how they would answer this because they're about a month in okay. to 
uh, you know, fundraising and they've quit their jobs and they're preparing to, to enter into this cross-cultural life. So four weeks in and uh, both of them said, we are spending a lot of time with each other Mm. (laughs) Um, where a lot of couples aren't uh, living together and working together and, uh, you know, all day, every day. And for the typical cross-cultural couple, especially in the language learning uh, in that transition period, you're together a lot more, <laughs> yeah. than you, which is a big shift. And, and for a lot of people, that's not necessarily entire, you know, 100% positive. Right. Um, so what does a couple, uh, you know, how do you deal with stress and anxiety and, and or not just anxiety, but the, the tension that comes from a transition? And again, I'm going to go back to this, um, how much positive time are you spending with each other? So I could be with Elizabeth all day, every day without actually being with her at all. Hmm. So I would encourage couples to, um, in the middle of transition, make sure that they're carving out some time. I mean, the research shows that five to six hours per week is sort of the, the aim here. Not where you're just sitting and watching Netflix together, but where you are turning towards each other and paying attention to each other. Um, that's the goal to look for. So even in the middle of transition, I would say you still got to figure out how do you carve out five to six hours a week that is, I am paying attention to you. Let's do something fun together or let's have an, a specific conversation or, you know, um, whatever, whatever that looks like uh, for that. couple. Let's have a cup of coffee together. Yeah. Uh, so that's just one idea. No, no, no. It's great. But what, what would you say, Jonathan, somebody says, well, Jonathan, you know, we moved, um, we moved over overseas and there's nothing that we can do for fun. And, um, and, and, uh, <laughs> or it's a, and it's complicated. You lived in Cambodia for, for eight years. Yeah. And so how did you navigate that to, to not just take the easy out and say, well, that, that's not possible for us because I live in Cambodia. And uh, right. so how did you right. navigate that? Well, I mean, you're, you're, the excuses are always going to be there, and we, we all have them. Um, and so those are legitimate things. I mean, when we moved right. overseas, our kids were like seven, five, three, and one. So right. I, I get that. I can, I can empathize with that. And I think one of the things that was so helpful for us was a very loose definition of a date. Hmm. Um, and, and I think I, I was very blessed that uh, Elizabeth w- went along with this. She, she didn't have... You know, it needs to be dinner in a fancy movie. Right. So he just defined a date as lock the kids out of the kitchen. Our, our kitchen had a door on it. You know, <laughs> Lock the kids out of the kitchen and have a cup of coffee for 20 minutes at the end of language school. Hmm. That adds up over a month, over a year or two, those 15 minutes of time where you say, you know what? I'm going to put a movie on for the kids yeah. <laughs> or I'm going to let them watch one show. Right. And that show 25 minutes. And I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna sit with my wife, my husband, and have a cup of coffee. And I'm gonna call that a date because it yeah. is. That is a date. <laughs> so, um, I would say that the key to to getting that time of time is is really changing your definition of uh, of a date. And wow. our kids laugh at us now. You know, they say, "Okay, well." The, <laughs> Oh, they walk into the kitchen now. They're, oh, never mind, and they walk back out because they know yeah. that that's just a tradition. And yeah. you, you, I'm sure you saw that, that we explained a little bit more in the global trellis video. But yeah, um, no, it's, it's, 
But I, I appreciate you saying the excuses abound because it, yeah, it, sure. and, and it is easy to come up with excuses, but I appreciated what you shared was the intentionality and, and, yeah. and, and being willing to redefine and that the, the value was to spend time with your wife. That was what the mm. value was. It was not the place. It was not that, 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 that she was who you were valuing. And it really resonated right. with me because I would like to say I've done it perfectly, but I've probably been the guy that's created a lot of excuses. And, um, mm. and, and, um, and so it was valuable for me just to be reminded and um, challenged that, uh, you know, those yeah. excuses are just excuses. So. Well, no, really. yeah, I mean, they, they are really valid and I, I really want to care about that, you know, right. young family who's trying to figure this out. And I, I would also say it won't be like this forever. Yeah. There will be times in our later years in Cambodia, we, we were able to go out for, you know, a whole day and just yeah. leave the teenager at home. Yeah. Um, so it won't be like that forever. But yeah. in order to really enjoy the time in five, 10 years, you've got to spend the time that you can now. Yeah. Um, so change those definitions. And also the excuses are always there, but the, the benefit is always there as well. Hmm. And the reason that we want to kind of label the excuses as excuses is because sort of the glorious reality of being intimately connected with your spouse, that's a, that's a worthy goal. And that's yeah. always there too. And so it's not yeah. just that the excuses are always there. Yeah. This the reality of being um, in an enjoyable, mutually enjoyable marriage, yeah. that's also there too. And yeah. that's what we're aiming for. No, it's good. You you shared earlier about the sometimes people think when we talked about the sexual relationship, sometimes people think, well, I'm the only one. And uh, I think the, the, yeah. the enemy does try to isolate us. And as you've worked with marriages, are there some common themes that you've seen and challenges that people would run through and come marriages come up against during their time overseas? Mm-hmm. So because I think that it does. Not that people want to say I'm wallowing in the mud with somebody else. That's not it. But I think the enemy does try to say you're the only marriage that struggles with this or you're the only husband or you're the only wife. And it makes yeah. a, it isolates us. Um, so are there common themes that you've seen? Mm. Well, I mean, what you're kind of alluding to is an internal shame. Hmm. Um, and like I am the only one. I can't talk about this because – Nobody talks about this right. and uh, somebody has to start talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> somebody has to be the first person to start talking about it. And one of the challenges I think for cross-cultural workers is often there is a lack of intergenerational uh, um, relationships. Hmm. Uh, that, is, that is, I'm overseas. Everyone else seems to be at my same state in life. Because uh, the people younger than me haven't got here yet. The people older than me have left already. Yeah. <laughs> so there can be this this uh, unique dynamic, uh, which can happen in the States too, if you only go to a church that has your demographic in it. Right. Yeah. But I think it's more of a danger overseas. So one of the things people can do to sort of fight against that is to try to, is to look around and say, are there are there any people who are a generation ahead of me who seem to like each other? <laughs> and... If there are, ask them questions, connect with them because yeah. they might not be broadcasting on Facebook or, right. or you know, TikTok about their problems. But if you ask them, it probably will tell you this was a challenge we went through. This is how we uh, got through that challenge. And now all of a sudden you've got some community and it's, maybe it's even specific to your context, whether that's yeah. North Africa, Africa or right. Southeast Asia or, or Eastern Europe or something. And that can be really, really valuable for a couple. And it removes a bit of the shame 
because somebody somebody understands and is still in relationship with me. <laughs> they still yeah. are my friend even after we've talked about this challenging situation. No, that's great. And what's your question, but I think No, it does. And so for the listeners that are listening in that are maybe from that old an older generation or more mature if, if we would say it that way. Yeah. What's some wisdom that you would give them to maybe, I know sometimes if, if, if um, advice is not asked for, it's not good to give it, but at the same time, they could theoretically be on the lookout and maybe be open to that. Would that be something you would encourage? Uh, if I'm talking to someone who's maybe been on the field for longer. Yes. And yes. Yeah. Somebody's in their fifties and sixties and they're, they're serving. Yeah. How can they help younger couples as they navigate this? Not domineering and not, you know, sure. um, dogmatic, but how could they help younger couples navigate some of these, these challenges? Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that this is sometimes harder for the older generations because it's just not as much a part of their culture, but the younger generations I think are very, very interested in honesty. And I think the the folks who've been on the field for a while could go a long ways in sort of shooting out some flares yeah. that say, hey, we had some things too. We had some issues too. And this wasn't always perfect. Like maybe, yeah. you know, it looks like we really like each other now, but shoot, there were some big challenges and I don't think it would take very much of that signaling yeah, to, good. to get the attention of some younger couples who are like, okay, all right, they're not perfect. Hmm. Um, uh, I, I want to pursue that because if, if I see an older couple and they really come across like they have all the answers, then um, I may not pursue uh, <laughs> their relationship. Yeah. I think, I think Elizabeth uh, really helped me with this because early on, she was not afraid to honestly state the challenges of cross-cultural life and ministry. And she just wrote about it. Now, hmm. She didn't write it. She did not write about it in the middle of it. And I, and I, I think I'm, I'm very grateful for this. She didn't, pro, she didn't process it in front of a thousand people. Yeah. She processed it with a couple close friends, but then after it was over, she would write about it online on the life of her seas or velvet ashes or somewhere. And the response that she would get from being honest was astronomical. And that's why I think I can say with confidence, if a couple will honestly state some of the challenges, younger people will want to learn. Hmm. <laughs> they will ask questions. They will want to know uh, how to do it. Um, um, no, that's if, good. They, if they sense an openness and humility coming from, from the older people. And I think the reality of it is when we're, we, 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 we're drawn to people that are authentic. And, um, sure. and I think we all know, you know, that their marriages are not, well, maybe there's some perfect people out there. I don't know, but it's, but the authenticity I think is, um, you know, we can, we draw to that. Um, so yeah. do you have, is when it comes to healthy practices, is there some other healthy practices that you recommend? Um, we've talked about that time together um, and, and making that a priority. Is there other, some other healthy practices that, that um, you, would, you would share with the audience? Well, um, you know, in general, the idea of boundaries is just such a, an indicator of long-term emotional and relational uh, happiness. And it, the boundaries get really blurred when you're serving cross-culturally. The, the boundaries mm. between uh, life and work between a family and ministry and who gets to know everything in my relationship and newsletters and all that stuff. And so 
I would encourage couples if they feel like, you know, they're, they're not real um, fluent in healthy boundaries to start reading about healthy yeah. boundaries. Right. Um, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I say this in one of my articles. I'm amazed at how little Christian couples read about healthy marriages. Wow. <laughs> we read or listen to podcasts on all sorts of things. <laughs> when I ask a couple, Hey, you know, and I always like to see where people are coming from. Um, are there any resources or, or books or anything that you have tapped into before meeting with me? And most of the time they, people just look at me blankly like, um, no, I mean, we, we read a book by Francis Chan years ago. I mean, like yeah. it's, it's, it's very small actually. And it just surprises me because the, there's a lot of research out there and there's a lot of help um, that created for connection. This is where I always recommend people start a book called created for connection um, uh, by uh, Sue Johnson and Kenneth Sandifer. I think you can mm-hmm. look it up on it. It's a fantastic place to start. Um, uh, yeah. And so read it, you know, read something together and try that would be a practice um, I try to always have one book on marriage or family uh, going at a time. Okay. That, that's, my, that's kind of my job, but also yeah. it's helpful. <laughs> no, no, for sure. No, yeah. that, and that makes a ton of sense. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts too, but I, um, I would have to say I don't have one on marriage that's in my queue. Um, and yeah, so that's a, yeah, sure. that's a, that's a good challenge, a good challenge for me. <laughs> Do you, is there a podcast that you listen to on marriage? I don't know anything about podcasts. Okay. <laughs> in in Cambodia, I used to listen to a lot of radio and stuff in, yeah. in the States. And then in Cambodia, driving in Cambodia was, was never going to be a relaxing time yeah. to listen to anything. I was trying not to die. Yeah. So, and then, you know, if I was doing anything else like exercising, I was, my brain was just fried. So uh, yeah. I don't have any recommendations. For no, that's good. That's good. But we'll put, um, I'll put created, created for connection. I'll put that in the show yeah. notes too and appreciate. And then, and then you're, well, you're I writing, will, I, go ahead. I, I just, I just thought of something else. Sorry. Go um, one of the leading marriage researchers in, in the world right now is uh, Dr. Gottman yeah. and his wife, who's also Dr. Gottman. <laughs> um, and their research is like longitudinal, um, three or four decades. And it is just so solid. Um, they're not coming from a Christian standpoint, but they are coming from a tremendously scientific standpoint, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, and they do podcasts. So some of it may not align. People have to pick and choose, but the data is there. And one of their primary data points that I, I will share with folks here, because this goes along with practical things someone can do, is for any of the husbands listening, anything you can do to build emotional intelligence and the ability to see and effectively respond to your spouse's feelings. It may sound frou-frou or whatever, but the data shows that the husband's ability to basically emotional intelligence is the number one indicator of the long-term success of the marriage. Their ability to sense the wife's feelings and respond in a healthy way. And that sounds weird that it's all on the husband, but their data shows women in general are just better at it naturally, whether that's just society. Uh, I don't care where it's from. Society just wires them that way or God wire. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that that is data worth knowing. And so, if a husband is really interested, anything you can do that builds emotional intelligence is is worth its weight in gold. That's so, good. That's you good. know, man to man, that's that's, that's a practical thing um, that, no. that you can do. 
appreciate that. As you look, as you look to the last question, as you look to the future, um, you we hear um, a lot of times we hear the things that are not going well. As you look to the future for marriages, do you have just a word of encouragement? And then uh, we'll move. I'll ask you to pray. But do you have just a word of encouragement for those listening in that are married and maybe it's they're in the you know it, it, things are not going so well and um, they're just looking for a little bit of hope and encouragement. Yeah. Wow. Um, one of the reasons I love my job, um, and I work with a lot of couples is that I have tremendous hope for couples, even if they're in really dark, hard places, if they're talking to me or if they're listening to a podcast like this, they're already pointed in the right direction. Yeah. And, uh, one of the reasons that, again, I love this job that I get to do is because, um, it is just so worth it. Yeah. to grow in intimacy as a husband and wife. And I think, you know, we listened to a sermon on parenting by Andy Stanley recently, and he talked about the need for a goal, yeah. but also the need to recognize reality. And so I, I, I'm aware of that when we talk about marriages. There's this sort of ideal that exists somewhere. I don't know. But then there's also reality. And that's why I often encourage people to consider which way are you facing, hmm. not necessarily far are you down the road, but which way are you facing? That's and good. if you're facing a direction towards sort of doing some of these things and, and growing in intimacy, then that really is golden. Um, but as far as encouragement goes, I've just, you know, so many of us really only live with the idea of marriage sort of in between Eden and heaven. Hmm. I'm obviously living in between Eden and heaven, but, but the idea of a close intimate connection between a man and a woman, that predates the fall. And I think we got to remember that. It's it beautiful and to know and to be known and to, to walk together without shame. Like that's, that's the design that God had at the beginning and still has. And then, of course, in eternity, um, you've got this amazing, glorious picture of the bride of Christ and the wedding supper of the Lamb and this sort of fellowship with one another, knowing and being known. Um, and then we're kind of in the middle, the, the kingdom, the now and not yeah. yet sort of kingdom of all this. And so I would just encourage our listeners to remember the idea of marriage. God's idea of marriage is Edenic. I mean, it, it's from the very beginning. Yeah. And, and the, the relationships, the communion, uh, the idea of intimacy exists long, you know, it exists in the new heaven and the new earth. And uh, God's desire is for us to taste and see yeah. that he's good and that, that his designs are good. And so I guess that would be my encouragement too. That's um, a good word. Yeah, it is. It's just a lot more fun. Like my dad used to say, winning isn't everything, but it's a lot more fun than losing. <laughs> <laughs> he was coaching our stuff. And it's I true. think it's, it's true. You know, marriage isn't everything. Yeah. But a healthy, satisfying marriage is a whole lot more fun yeah. than the alternative. And I think exactly. sometimes Christians define a successful marriage as staying married. And that's mm. just so yeah. um, The longevity of a marriage is not the primary indicator of its success or failure. Yeah. Um, good word. So good, good word. I don't know. That's, that's, that's what I got. That's good, man. Hey, would you pray for us today and uh, just pray for the audiences listening that, um, the challenges that you've placed for men to grow in their emotional intelligence for us to increase our, um, interest and study and reading and listening uh, to for marriage that that was 
two challenges that I can think of right off my, my uh, mm-hmm. top of my head. And then the other thing is not to use excuses when it comes to spending time with our spouses. And so those are, there's three. Yeah. And, uh, but I really appreciate it. Will you pray for us today? Sure. Wow. God, I thank you so much for your heart, uh, for people. Um, I thank you that we don't have to just kind of try and make up what your vision is for us or for the world. We know that your passion is turned towards uh, the world and that you long for the church to grow, uh, to grow around the world and also to grow uh, in Christ's likeness. And uh, Father, I thank you for all of the people who are listening uh, to this podcast. And I, I, I thank you that you are present with them right now, wherever they are all over the world. I thank you that your plans for them are good, even if they're hard, even if they're challenging. Uh, you have promised to never leave them, to never forsake them. And you have just placed this vision into their lap of, of intimacy with you yourself and intimacy with their spouse. And so, God, would you fulfill your promises to them um, to, to be present, to, to lead them into greater and deeper wholeness uh, with you and with each other? And God, would you just make marriages of these cross-cultural workers just shine in such a well of strength? Um, not, not primarily a, a drag or a, a negative thing. Of course, we all, we all walk through uh, the valleys and, and we all experience um, the fires. Um, but in all of it, God, would you just overwhelm our listeners today with your peace, with the grace to do some of these things, to, to maybe turn to head the direction of uh, growing emotional intimacy uh, God, I, I pray for healing too. So many times there's stuff from the past that uh, clogs things up and that keeps people from reaching out and connecting with their, with their husbands or wives. And so in your mercy, God, would you bring healing to those deep places, uh, to, the, to the trauma uh, or to the abandonment uh, wounds? Speak your truth, speak your healing to those places that your people could experience this shalom, this deep, uh, an abiding presence that allows them to reach out without fear and with tremendous security, knowing that at the end of the day, whatever happens, they are deeply loved and deeply known. Um, so again, God, we thank you for your heart and pray your uh, your greatest blessings on uh, your servants around the world, that they would then also be able to, um, to love people well and to, to, you know, to mirror your heart for the church marriages in the communities that are represented by your marriage. And we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.